I had become a dad for the very first time, and there was a lot of feelings and emotions going through my heart. And I had a desire to do good at this dad thing, to do it well, and I had some idea of what that might take and what it would look like. But looking back on it and on that day, there was far more that I didn't know and could have ever imagined needing to know. There, there aren't too many people that go into the parenting thing uh, feeling like what they'd really like to do is to do a crummy job. <laughs> uh, we all have hopes and dreams of uh, creating an amazing childhood for our kids, uh, to create a, a place at home that is a place where our kids feel safe um, and loved and valued. And if you are a Christian, one of the things that is most definitely on your hearts as far as a goal is to make sure that the children that you get to raise, or maybe it's a nephew or niece to influence, that they would come to know that Jesus is their savior and there's someone who loves them even more than you do. And through that faith connection with Jesus, you want them to understand and know that, that everything changes. That through Jesus, they have hope that they can have in every circumstance. That there is a new purpose in life with Jesus. And that there is a future to look forward to in heaven because of what Jesus has done for them. Which leads us to this. This has always been the most important thing that one generation can do for the next. The most important thing that one generation can do for the next is to simply lead them to Jesus. I want you to hear a declaration that the adult generation had 3,000 years ago. It's recorded for us in the Psalms, in Psalm 78. It goes like this. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. For that adult generation 3,000 years ago, it was not enough for them to know the praise or their deeds of the Lord. It, what was on their heart, what they declared is that we will make sure that we will tell the next generation that which we already know. This leads to our first fill-in for today, which is also something that serves as the motivation for this entire series. It's this, that we have been called to lead the next generation to Jesus. You know, there's, there's something in all of us, I think God wired it in us. There's something in all of us that wants our lives to matter, that we want to make a difference, that we want to feel that our lives were worthwhile. And guys, this is it. This is it. Go back to the first slide. This is it, that we are here to lead people to Jesus. There, there is nothing greater. There is no financial inheritance. There is no cabin by the lake that we can hand down to our kids. There is nothing better and more important 
than making sure that they know that they heard from us, the previous generation, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. But here's the question. What does it look like for us to reach the next generation? That's what I want to kick off this series with. In fact, today in our first message in this series, we're going to take probably longer than usual to just understand the landscape of what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks and what this next generation is all about. And and to start, to help you better understand this next gen, I think it's important to quick go through the previous generations. And so in our world today, there are primarily five generations that are represented. Um, The first and the oldest right now are given the name the Builders, and they were born between the years 1929 and 1945. They are the people among us who are in their 80s and 90s, generally speaking. Uh, this is sometimes known as the, the greatest generation, or it, it's, a, it's a generation of people who came out of the Great Depression and two world wars, and they tend to be known um, for their gratefulness. You can understand that as they, what they experienced uh, in their early years, and maybe even for being a little bit frugal, in fact. After the builders come the boomers. Uh, These are people that are, generally speaking, in their 60s and 70s nowadays. They're given the name Boomer because uh, right after the Second World War, about nine months after, uh, there began a big baby boom in our country. And uh, this generation is marked, again, remember, all these are generalities, by, by people who are hoping to build a life that was better and different uh, financially and materially than the one their parents experienced. And so they're, they're very focused, sometimes on career, but just very focused on making things better. After the boomers uh, is Generation X. Uh, these are people generally who are in their 40s and their 50s. And this group of people grew up in a very interesting and, and somewhat uh, fluctuating time in our country where some of our, our foundations were shook a little bit as we think about things that happened like uh, the Watergate scandal or the Vietnam War, um, the recession in the early 80s or the Cold War. And as a reaction to that, and in some ways a reaction to their parents, the boomers, uh, Generation X is known for being uh, a little more real and scrappy, sometimes even a little bit skeptical. Uh, the next generation is the one that, you know, we've all heard about a lot. There's a lot of conversation about this group for many years, but the, the millennials, they, they tend to now be in their 20s and their 30s. And I think this generation, along with the next, one of the things that really affected them is growing up, for the most part, with the internet and, and cell phones and things like that. And so um, they're a generation that's known for um, having options. And if they don't love their career much more than other generations before them, and sometimes this is forced because of our job market today, but they have no problem going on to another career. Uh, there's, they're known for options. Which leads us to the focus of this series, They might eventually get a different name, but 
for now, they've been tagged Generation Z. And these are the people among us who are approximately college age and younger. And because this is the focus of our series, I spent extended amount of time just kind of digging into what does uh, people who study these types of things, what do they say about some of the trends that are happening and coming out uh, around Generation Z? In fact, if you're interested, there's two really good books I would recommend. Um, one is by Tim Elmore, and it's called Generation Z Unfiltered. And the other is by uh, Gene Twangy, and it's a book called iGen. Uh, and as I, I did some study on that, uh, one of the things that jumped out to me about Generation Z is that they're known for thrift. No, that wasn't in there, but it absolutely is something. You don't get this unless you have a college or high school student in your home right now, but um, that, that's not what the book said. Um, here's something, though. One thing is an increased connection to the internet. That this is a generation that has known no life outside of being connected online. And why would they do something in person if they're able to do it online? Whether that be dating, whether that be shopping, banking, school research, friendships, just about everything, this is a generation that's used to doing everything online. So there's an increased focus and connection to the internet. Another thing that people point out, experts, about Generation Z is that it's a very, generally speaking, an inclusive group of people. I think some of this is a reaction to some of the, the hatred and, and bigotry that they've felt they've experienced in previous generations, whether it be uh, gender or uh, race. And so generally speaking, this is a very um, much more tolerant um, generation, much more, as it says, inclusive generation, which can be, can be a good thing. Next one is that they tend to be in no hurry. Uh, so I see some of you parents laughing in the room here. Uh, as scholars sort of uh, study these things, they notice that a lot of the things that maybe previous generations did five or six years earlier, Generation Z is waiting, whether that be getting married or that might be having children. Uh, did you know that there are a ton of high school seniors that don't have their driver's license yet? Whereas when I and Generation X was on the day I turned 16, you know, most of my friends went to get their driver's license. Again, doesn't necessarily need to be a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. They tend to be in no hurry. This is a big one. It's a group of young people who are increasingly feeling insecure. And Jean Twangy in her book, uh, she points to uh, her idea that probably the, the biggest factor for that being um, the growth of cell phone usage and social media platforms. And this constant comparison and even bullying that can happen online. Um, adults, we have a hard enough time navigating that, don't we? 
But then you think about middle school and high school students and how they're still growing and developing. And so the rate of anxiety and even depression is higher than it's ever been in our middle school and our high school students and something to be aware of. The last thing I want to point out is something that hits right to the heart of this series. And that is that it seems to be a generation that is increasingly irreligious. And I just want to point out as I look in the room and see some Gen Z, Gen Z people and young people that I love and know well, that these are generalities and that we have some Gen Zers at this church that are way more passionate and outward focused about their faith than I ever was at their age. And so this is not every young person, but generally the landscape would say that they are increasingly irreligious. You know, all of us uh, have lived through generations where when you get to college, you kind of go through this wandering season where you may not go to church as much as you used to. And many of us have lived through that. But with Gen Z, increasingly more of these young people are not coming back. That one third of college students nowadays don't pray, don't believe in God, and that there is a God, and don't go to church at all. Now, this is the landscape that there is for Generation Z. Some good things, some challenging things. It is what it is. And the question that I would have for us who are gathered here today is, what can we do? How can we help? How can we be a blessing? Whether your parents, we're going to talk about family next week, or whether you are grandparents or members of a church, people as part of society, what can we do? Well, do you know what often older generations do when it comes to the younger generation and how they don't get the thrifting thing and don't understand their music and how they act? You know what older generations often do is they tend to pull away. They lean away. In fact, I want you to listen to this quote. It goes, young people are high-minded because they have not yet been humbled by life, nor have they experienced the force of circumstances. They think they know everything and are always quite sure about it. Spoken by Aristotle in the 300s BC. <laughs> or... I thought this was kind of humorous as we tend to lean away from young people, the older generations do, and don't always get the contraptions that they use and all this time online and on their phones and the mindless stuff that goes with smartphones. Listen to this from the 1850s. A pernicious excitement to learn and play chess has spread all over the country, and numerous clubs for practicing this game have been formed in cities and villages. Chess is a mere amusement of a very inferior character, which robs the mind of valuable time that might be devoted to nobler requirements. They require outdoor exercises, not this sort of mental gladiatorship. <laughs> so says Scientific American Magazine in July of 1858. It's always been this way. The older generation thinking that the younger generation needs to learn a thing or two. And oh, by the way, get off my grass, okay? <laughs> you young people. 
And we have a decision to make, older generations. Are we going to lean away? Or can I encourage you to do this? Lean in, not away. Lean in and come to understand and take, a, take an interest in that next generation, even more than maybe you had before you came this weekend. Because it is the, it is the role, it is the job of this generation to tell the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord to the next where I want to go for our Bible study today is uh, to a section of Jesus' ministry where he had an extended sermon or teaching about the next generation. He, uh, he talked about kids, talked about little children. And in this extended sermon, he, we see a savior God who had passion for young people who leaned in, not away, who saw little children and knew they needed Jesus. They needed him. In fact, it's in this section where Jesus said this, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Or in maybe a little bit more, uh, a lot bit more of a warning just a little bit before this section in Matthew 18, Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, these children, the next gen, those who believe in me, if the older generation causes the younger one to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Do you think Jesus has a passion for the next generation, for little children? Do you think he has a strong responsibility given to us as the older generation to lead them and to be all about what can we do for the next? Absolutely. We see Jesus' heart in these verses. And then he tells this story. And it's a story that I'm guessing most of you have heard before. But I think very few of you understand the context in which it was told. That this story, which can apply to anybody, it was told in the context of the next generation. Jesus told the story in the context as he was speaking about the importance of being aware and passionate about young people. Here's that famous story. Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wanders off? I think we maybe lose a little bit of context here because 2,000 years later, we don't quite understand the relationship that shepherds had with sheep. You know pig farmers and you know cattle um, ranchers, and the animals are just that, animals. But for a shepherd, he had 
almost a friend relationship with his sheep. He would spend nights out in the fields because if he was not out there watching the sheep, who would protect them? He would know each of the sheep by how it looked or maybe even had names for them. And, and you would think that 99% safe, 99% of them safe would be a good percentage. And it is a good percentage. 99% on anything is pretty good. But I want you to see the heart of the shepherd. That every single sheep mattered. And, and even if there was just one, this shepherd would go and find it, would go and retrieve it. Verse 13. And if he does find it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. So does this shepherd, does he love the one more than the 99? It can almost sound as if he doesn't care about the people who are already in the flock, but instead his entire focus is on the one. What's going on with that? Does, in turn, does God care more about the wandering than he does about the people in the flock? I, I think this is, this is something that's important to unpack and to understand. And I think you know the answer to this. Of course not. Of course the shepherd doesn't care more about the one than the 99. Of course your Lord God doesn't care more about the lost than he, and the wandering than he does about the found and the people who are in the flock. But do you know why there's all this focus and pursuit of the one? Because the one is in danger and needs our focus. The one is in danger and needs us to pursue it. Needs the shepherd to pursue it. If you're a parent, you get this. <laughs> I want you to think about taking your, uh, say, four kids to the Mall of America. And as you're shopping and window shopping, you find out as you look behind you or around you that you only have three of the four. What do you do? You search and you look and all of your focus is on the one that you can't find. Do you know what a parent would never do? Be like, oh, 75%, three out of four. I come home with 75%, that's better than average. <laughs> All is okay. It's not that you love the one more than the other three. It's that in that moment, the one needs your focus. The one needs your attention. The one needs you. And Jesus closes out this story in the same way. Your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. 
when talking about sharing Jesus with the next generation, some of you have a name or a few names that are just on your heart right now. And I want you to know that you have a Savior God who has not forgotten about that one just like you have not and is there and desiring to bring them back to the flock. And through faith in Christ, he will. He has not forgotten anyone. This leads us to our second fill-in. Jesus, what is he passionate about? He's passionate about the lost being found. And you know, every single one of us here in the room, every single one of us listening online, we should be glad that this is the way Jesus feels. We should be absolutely rejoicing today that this is the passion of Christ's heart because I want you to know something about me. I was lost too. I was born into this world as an enemy of God because of my sinful nature. I had no relationship with him because of my sin. But Jesus, the good shepherd, knew that would be the case. And so 2,000 years ago, he decided to travel from heaven to earth. And as he saw that that enemy, the devil, the lion, was about to devour me in my sin, the good shepherd stood between the lion and his children. And he took the punishment on the cross so that we would not have to. My story is a lost one being found. And there was rejoicing in heaven, I'm sure, on the day that I became part of God's flock. And you already know this, but that's your story too. If you call yourself a Christian, if you're someone who follows Jesus, you are the product of that same amazing rescue story. And, and maybe it was like me when you were really young that someone brought you to be baptized and you were found. For others of you, maybe it was later in life where someone else began to talk to you about what Jesus has done. Someone leaned into your life instead of away and you began to come to understand the, the love and the forgiveness and the joy of being a part of the flock of Jesus. But make no mistake, you are part of God's kingdom because Jesus is passionate about the lost being found. So here's a question. What are you passionate about? Do you know that if we don't think about this question, we will always gradually lean 
towards being passionate about guess who? Ourselves. That's part of the challenge of living with a a sinful nature that doesn't totally go away until heaven, that we're continually battling against that. And that the God that we are most in danger of serving other than the true God is the God of self. What are we passionate about? What do we want to make our lives about? What legacy do we want to share with the next generation? Whether you have kids or not, this is not a a parenting message. This is just a message for one generation to the next. Number three fill in for today. May our passion for the next gen reflect the passion of Jesus. That the lost becoming found is the passion of our hearts because we were once that lost one and we understand the difference that Jesus has made. So as we close here, I want to give some application, first of all, to the previous generations, to the adult generations of this world. And there's three things coming out of this message that I would encourage you to be. The first is, to be aware. I want you to understand and realize, this is why we spent so much time on it today in the introduction of the unique landscape that the Generation Z is facing and how more than any other generation before us, it is harder to stay connected to Jesus, that there are more voices there that speak against the clarity of the gospel of Jesus and that through that awareness that we would grow some understanding and some empathy and love. Number two, I would encourage you is to to be patient with Generation Z. What is that look like? What do I mean? Again, I think so often one generation's uh, sort of response to the next is one of frustration or indifference or doesn't quite understand. And that can grow in us even in anger with that next generation, which by the way, is kind of ironic because guess who created the world that the next generation is now having to live in. We need to own that, right? And instead of jumping to conclusions, one of the best things that I've been able to do to help to grow and understand is not reading books, although that was helpful this week. It's been talking to Generation Z and listening to them and their worldview and what they're receiving as far as messages go online or at school or wherever they might be, being patient means to listen first. And then as God opens doors to share truth. And number three, older generations, be passionate about the next generation. Grow in your passion for young people 
You may not want to babysit them, okay? That's okay. You can still be passionate, and it needs to be, it can start with prayer, but it needs to be more than prayer. That as older adults, that we not only speak truth into the lives of our children, but that we are sure to model that same truth in the way that we act and interact with our spouses or in our dating relationships, older generations, or the way we handle finances or the things we prioritize. Being passionate is just not words. Being passionate is, again, we're not gonna do this perfect, but modeling that which we are trying to teach. Being passionate is being passionate about a church like North Cross tries to be. That may not be everyone's favorite cup of tea, but that is passionate about sharing timeless truth in a timely way because we want the people of today to understand that Jesus is for them. And yes, sometimes that means that we have to put ourselves second and to put the gospel and the next generation before ourselves. And then to you, those of you who are a part of Generation Z, I want you to know and to believe with all of your heart that number four, that there's no better place to be than with a shepherd. Here's what I mean by that. I'm in my 40s and I have a hard time navigating the ups and downs of the internet and social media, and I have seen what it's done to me and to adults. My heart goes out to you as you've grown up on this stuff. And one of the very practical things for you to do, this is practical, is if you're spending time on those platforms and it's not making you feel good, Turn it off. Take it off. Uninstall. Don't spend so much time on it as much as you can and ask your parents for advice or direction. See, what I want you to know is the self-esteem and the value and the love that not just you, but all of us are looking for are not found in the amount of likes or shares or online friends you have, but it's by being a part of something bigger and better and longer lasting, being loved by the shepherd who went to search you out, made you a part of his flock, and guards and keeps you every day. Generation Z, you are absolutely loved by this church, by me, but even more so, even better, by your shepherd. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you have given to us the responsibility and privilege of declaring the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord to the next generation. 
And Lord, I'd, I'd ask you to be with us as individuals, as a church, as families, as we today open our mind and our, our eyes even to the unique landscape, good and bad, that the next generation is facing. And I pray that you grow in us a passion to share with them the love of the shepherd. Dear Lord, I'd ask for your blessing upon this church as we go about doing that. And that we as a congregation, that we rally around reaching this generation with the gospel, that those who already know share with those who need to know. Pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.